0: Well, according to our next guest, our democracy is a train wreck. That's what artist, activist, and self-proclaimed professional rabble-rouser Dave Messlin argues in his brand-new book. It's entitled Teardown, Rebuilding Democracy from the Ground Up. And it's a very interesting examination of our current state of affairs and our political system and Dave's thoughts on what needs to change to perhaps make it a little better and a little more representative. And Dave Messlin joins us here in studio on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Dave, good afternoon, and uh, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me on the show. All right, first of all, I want to talk about your TED Talk from uh, way back in 2010 when you uh, discussed us being in a democratic deficit. What did you mean by that exactly?
1: I guess what I was talking about is how most people see politics as something just to 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 watch like it's a spectator sport you know a lot of people feel that there isn't a role for them to play except maybe voting once every four years but even that we know that a growing number of people aren't doing so people seem to not have much faith in the system and democracy doesn't work unless people have faith in it
0: Mm -hmm. so we're talking about a disconnect here between uh, the voters and politicians that there's just uh there's no connection there's no buy-in from people that they feel as if the I don't know the system is rigged somehow.
1: I think I think the system often does feel like it's rigged. It feels like there's a small inside group, uh, and that can include lobbyists, you know people who have access to politicians. And let's be honest, I mean, there seems to be a small group of people who keep getting reelected. I mean, right now out of out of the 13 premiers in Canada, this is in two thousand and nineteen, all 13 premiers are men. Like, we're actually moving backwards on some really important measures of progress. And a lot of their dads were also premiers. It's really weird. It's almost like we reverted back to medieval times. That was the old system, right? Mm-hmm. You had some guy in power, and then when he was done, his kid would go in power. Right. <laughs> so my premier right now is sitting in a legislature that his dad sat in. His brother was the, was the mayor of my city, and his nephew sits on that council, Um, My prime minister, his father was my prime minister when I was a kid. Right. And the other thing to look at, it's never sisters and daughters. Like, it's almost like we've um, we fought for democracy, the right to have ballots, the right to choose. But we've somehow
0: culturally reverted back to what felt so simple and safe. 500 years ago. All right, so is that why we don't have an engaged electorate because our politicians are not representative of uh, who we are? Is that a big pro- the biggest problem, maybe? I think it's the other way around. I think, I think we
1: end up with the same insiders replacing themselves because a lot of people have just rolled their eyes and walked away, right? So if you have a political system that doesn't feel that it's responsive, people don't feel that their voice matters, whoever I vote for, the same thing's going to happen anyways, or really, let, let's be honest, there's only two parties who... Ch- trade power back and forth, blue and red. And whenever they get in power, they spend their first year proudly undoing whatever the party before did, Mm -hmm. right? That's what Doug Ford is doing now. That's what Jason Kenney's doing in Alberta. So a lot of people look at that and they're like, what's the point? This whole system seems so stupid. These two parties spend four years in the legislature laughing at each other, jeering, clapping, throwing insults. And as soon as the other party wins, they just they just switch all the policies, and then four years later switch back. It's kind of a farce. Yeah, and well, I, don't you know, I don't blame people. I don't blame people for tuning out.
0: Yeah, one of the inter- interesting observations you make uh, in the book, and here we are on the precipice of another election coming uh, in October, and we're going to start hearing this. It's summer barbecue season soon, or all of these promises that are made, and a lot of these promises they never ever come to fruition, right?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, that that's one huge problem. And and part of that is that there's a bit of a gridlock in parliament because the system isn't designed for people to really talk to each other and, and implement policy. Our House of Commons and our provincial legislatures are literally designed to be polarized and hostile. You put one group of people on one side, the other group on the other, and they're they're supposed to fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is this is seen as some kind of great tradition of democracy. So we call the second group the opposition, and it's written into their job description that whatever the government pr- proposes, you're against it. Which is obviously a terrible model. If we, we're paying 338 people a really good salary to sit in the House of Commons for for four years on our behalf. Why would their job description be to yell at each other? Yeah. Well, right?
0: you know what? We've talked about this on the show before, and it's always struck me as really bizarre how whoever's in opposition, you're right, they immediately have to oppose everything. Would it be so bad? Would it be so wrong for, let's say, Andrew Scheer to every once in a while say, you know what, liberals, Justin Trudeau, that was actually a good idea. Uh, and you know what? Uh, we're going to continue that program when we're elected. I, I think that might resonate with some folks.
1: That would be amazing. But the And it's important to realize that the problem isn't Sheer or Trump. Ch- ch- shh <laughs> Trudeau or any person in, in particular. I had a stutter when I was a kid, and now it comes back once, once a week on the most random words. Um, it's not the people in the system who are causing the problem. It's the way the system is designed. Right. The reason Shear's not doing that is because the system isn't designed that way. So what I've done with my book, Teardown, it's not a book of complaints. It's a book of solutions. And I went all over the world and found places that are trying to d- design their systems to do the opposite, to bring out the best in people rather than the worst. So one fun example for parliament, for example, would be randomize the seating instead of putting all the liberals on one side and all the conservatives on the other, literally designed like a, like a sport arena where your your instinct is to attack like a mob you randomize everyone so the conservative sheer is sitting beside a new democrat and sure. a green and a liberal so you could still try and be rude and jeer but it doesn't make sense because the guy's sitting right beside you so <laughs> the mob mentality really kicks in when you're all on one side you're like yeah, you know. they're like someone says something on your side and you clap Someone says something on other side and you jeer. That breaks down immediately if you're all sitting beside each other. So my book has hundreds of ideas like that.
0: That's really interesting. You also talk about uh, changing the way we uh, vote and you feel pretty passionate about that. that that's kind of the, the, the number one way that uh, you believe we, we can fix what's broken here? The, the voting system that any country
1: chooses um, has an impact on who runs, how they run, how we vote, and then how the the votes are tabulated at the end. And I know a lot of people are really turned off by this issue because it sounds complicated. They hear about MMP and STV and ranked ballots and preferential ballots and proportional representation. And everyone's like,
0: ah, what? (laughs) what
1: I've done is I've got a chapter called Better Ballots, and it lays it all out in really simple terms. I use an analogy of of a small town called Northville, and they have to, to decide if they want to build a golf course or a hockey arena. And I okay. explain what would happen if you had two parties pushing for those two items, how it would play out under different scenarios. It's really easy to read, and it's really important for Canadians to understand that there are other options. And it's not just these crazy options that you know, are, are being used in fringe, obscure countries. These are, these are um, systems of voting that are used in stable and wealthy countries all across the world. And we'd be crazy not to look
0: at them. Is this a utopia you're talking about, though? Is this something that's actually accomplishable? Do you think that uh, we can make these kind of radical changes? I think if
1: you look at my book, there's probably about 100 remedies in there. It's a recipe book for change. There's 100 ideas. Some of them are really practical. We could do them tomorrow. Really simple. Um, Some of them are a little more bold but also maybe they would take a year or two. And I'll admit there's a few ideas in there that are pie in the sky. Mm -hmm. Um, Voting reform would would be in the middle. You can't change a voting system overnight.
0: Is the biggest problem, though, is the people that have to change the systems are the ones that are benefiting from it right now? Absolutely. Um,
1: Once you've won an election, what's the incentive to change the model that got you there? But the other thing we know about politics is that politicians are really tuned into public opinion. They want to win the next election. They want to keep their job. And when enough people are, are calling for change, it opens up an opportunity. Our own prime minister, before he became prime minister, said this will be the last election under first-past-the-post. Um, he wasn't able to change it, but that was a very bold thing to say. You know, it's, it's really—voting reform in particular has gone from a fringe idea to very mainstream. And I should point out, the city of London— Ontario. London Mm -hmm. City Council changed their voting system last year. That's right. They're the only government in Canada not using First Past the Post, and that same week, there were two referendums held in Kingston and Cambridge to get rid of First Past the Post, and I helped run both of those campaigns, the Yes campaign, and we won them both. So change is coming. It's coming slowly, but as soon as we can get rid of First Past the Post, we'll have more options to choose on the ballot, we'll have more civility during the elections, and more collaboration within Parliament. And you can learn about all
0: this in my in my book all right listen by the way i spent a lot of time a lot of my career in london ontario and i can tell you it's a test market for a lot of things Uh, mcnuggets was the first thing that's right to to london and it's still around yeah atms too i think i think (laughs) atms were piloted there that's right so maybe it'll spread all right the book is called tear down rebuilding democracy from the ground up from dave meslin dave pleasure having you on thanks so much thank you take care